Brilliant. It's Carl here from Games Brains Ahead Bang Life with another episode of Desert Island Dregs. Uh, this is where our illustrious guests are off to a desert island, having had enough of the world, which is incredible timing, really, uh, to live out the remaining years. I promise you, this was not in response to what's going on. We came up with our steel, this idea two months ago, and it just so happens the world went to hell. Um, however, to ensure boredom doesn't set in, you're taking a few things with you. Uh, namely, three horror movies, three records, and what would normally be three games, but you guys aren't gamers, right? Sadly not. No. Yeah, guilty, sorry. That's cool, we swap <laughs> it out for books. It's another thing we cover too, which is fantastic. Uh, so it's my pleasure to introduce um, Beggar from London. That's hey. it. Hello. Hey, man. Guys, how are you all doing? We're good, we're not sick. And yeah. I, I don't think anyone in our family is, so, so far so good. So far yeah, so man. good. Same so here. So good. That's Although, all yeah. you can hope for right now. That's good enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How of are you course, doing, Carl? Yeah, I'm, I'm well the same. Not sick either. Just getting on with things. Uh, cool. Trying to survive. Excellent. It's a massive week for Beggar, of course. The release of your simply phenomenal debut, Compelled to Repeat. Uh, Friday the 3rd of April, this coming Friday. How are you feeling about it now? Well, it finally comes out, right? Because we had it in the in the bank for eight months, maybe now. <laughs> so, so it's good that it's uh, coming out. Um, of course, we. I mean, we were supposed to do five shows up until yesterday that have been cancelled because of what's happening. So it's um, it's good to see some feedback because we're already seeing some some people have received vinyls and. And, and and so much so it's it feels good to see some people are liking it enjoying it quoting specific songs um it's it's a yeah it's, it's a weird experience because it's frustrating and liberating at the same time yeah it's yeah. true it's sorry go on it's just been really weird to do it remotely as it were <laughs> you know what i mean because we were ready to we were ready to drive around the country uh, you know, playing playing shows that this weekend just gone, and um, that's so far from being on the cards that you know. <laughs> uh, so it's just been quite surreal. But you know, the important thing is, is that like we're happy with it, and we've got it out there. So um, so that's good. Yeah, I was going to add to that. That um, the other thing is that we've been we've kind of been on a hiatus more or less since. Uh, well, because in August, Abs and I both left for different uh, contracts for work and we were out of the UK and then we came back in November to play a few shows and we released a single and then we've kind of been building up the whole process remotely anyway so all of these shows were going to be the first shows in more or less five months uh, and so yeah it's it's going to be so long before we play again and um, with the release of a new album it, it, I guess it has been a bit of a weird process but um, but yeah it's great to get it out there basically. yeah yeah um, from the feedback you have received so far, I mean, obviously it's not available to the general public, but are you satisfied with what people are saying? Do you think people are getting it? For sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's been positive. Mm. Uh, they're just starting to trickle in at the moment, and it sounds like people are people are liking the sound and they're liking the overall like shape of the record. You know what I mean? The overall like overall package and people are starting to like have a look at the lyric sheet and stuff like that so you know it couldn't be it couldn't be happier yeah 
And it's weird because it, I guess we we've always wanted to write uh, like it, it's a mixture of genres. The album, and we've always consciously kept that because Bert is like a you know a grind machine and has got some amazing blasts and. Charlie's vocals are really varied, and then Abs is like a classic rock guitarist, uh, <laughs> and it's just a really, it's really nice that it's kind of worked um, as a as a as a mishmash of stuff, at least as far as we can tell from what other people have said. So that's really cool. Um, it is no pigeonholing you guys. At <laughs> Everybody needs to, I feel sometimes, particularly in the sort of rock and metal world, to jam right. you into a genre just to make it easier sometimes. Yeah. But with you yeah. guys, I think it's as simple as going, yeah, it's heavy metal. You have to do the rest <laughs> yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. And I get the same feedback from people. I don't know if it's the same with you guys, but uh, my friends who typically listen to extreme metal will find some songs they like and are really big fan of. And they are different songs from people coming from a different genre. So it's good to see the variety of uh, liking within the album. Mm. Okay, so you think you're getting a bit more crossover appeal, uh, at least within the metal world, I guess. I hope so, yeah. yeah. I hope so. I mean, that kind of thing can go either way, right? Like, if it's not brutal enough, people who like brutal stuff are going to tell you. But I don't know. We'll see. It's still so early, I think, that we'll see. I'm sure there's room for lots of people to hate it, too. Yeah, <laughs> the weeks Hopefully. after the release is a better time to gauge the overall opinion. Um but then you're not going to have that whole live reaction that you initially had. It's going to be completely based on what people are saying in line. Is that something yeah. that you're you're quite conscious of and maybe a bit obsessive about in the sense that you check in the comments and you're reading the reviews constantly? I try not to. Yeah, there's a bit of both, I think, because for us, it's the worst scenario because we're supposed to play gigs live. And as you said, we can't do that. And so we have to to increase what we do online to make sure that people are aware that we're releasing this. But in the meantime, every single band is increasing the content they have online because nobody can tour. So we're in the middle of this overwhelming flow of new music and information and, and, and short and long videos from bands. So uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be hard to be the band that can have their head uh, out yeah. of the water but you know as as long as we get some reaction good or bad um i'm, I'm looking forward to bad reactions because because you don't you don't get as <laughs> many usually people when they don't like your stuff they don't bother commenting which is fair enough True, so i'm yeah. hoping we'll get some uh, negative or some stinkers some, yeah. yeah, some bit of hate. <laughs> but it's it's true that like with this whole thing with this whole lockdown that like every single band that I like or follow or whatever has been doing, you know, like all the guitarists are playing guitar yeah. videos. <laughs> They're all talking about like what they cook. Everyone's doing like, do my here's my live set streamed like all of this stuff, and it's like fucking hell. What can you do to yeah. to so you may as well, I don't know, in a way, I'm just going like, to, uh, well, we'll release the album and then... Yeah, well, here's the album, yeah. Here's an, here's an album, I don't know, take it. The so. best, best, best we can come up with, really. Yeah. I completely understand. At the best of times, it's very hard to make an impact online with the amount of stuff coming at you through YouTube and social media and stuff like that. And you're absolutely right. What hope do you have when the likes of Devin Townsend is sitting at home yeah. doing the quarantine project and stuff? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Nothing, basically. <laughs> zero, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we thought about doing something remotely in the likes of that, but um, what we're doing today is probably the best we could do. Um, I don't have a drum kit at home. I have a pair of sticks and a silent pad, so uh, that wouldn't get us too far, I think. So we're also yeah. very limited in terms of what could be the outputs music-wise. But you are got... doing the you are doing the right thing. There's been a fair amount of people holding back their music because they want to follow up and go out live straight and so on. Yeah. Um, and if that you know, so the fact you're getting out there kind of means your the attention's going to be on you anyway. Yeah, just to put it out there, I think it's important right now. Right, guys, let's get started then. Um, are we doing one each? Is this the yeah. idea? Yeah. Yeah. Right, brilliant. So let's get started with your books then. What are the three books you're planning to take to you, take with you to this desert island? All right, who's going first? Um, I'll go first. Mm. Cool. So my book would be um, basically, it's called, it, it's a shame, right? Because the book was turned into a really shit film. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's such a brilliant book. It's called Revolutionary Road. Okay. Uh, yeah, and it was it was mm. a, yeah it was a film it was a film that Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet like had their sort of rekindled romance screen romance in, but the the, the book is written by a guy called Richard Yates and it was published in 1961, and he was a really miserable, uh, very obsessive post-war American author, uh, who he he he, he his whole kind of uh, literary raison d'etre was to was to write about loneliness mm. and to really convey what loneliness is. Uh, and I think he, he did it perfectly with this book. And basically it's a book that tells the story of a young couple who live outside of New York in some suburban, suburban dream world where they have a lovely house uh, and there are all these big wide American streets and everyone has a refrigerator. Uh, but basically they, they don't know how to really tell each other how they're feeling. So it's a story of this broken relationship in a world that's forcing them to be perfect young darlings and upstarts after the war. And Frank has this uh, lovely job and April is this beautiful housewife. And it's meant to be this, it's, it's just set out to be a story of perfect romance. And it ends up being just the most tragic, harrowing book in many ways, because it's so simple. And it's so universal, and it's the story of probably so many people's lives, and uh, and it's written with such a, a seamless uh, ease that I I don't know I always come back to it and I read it quite a lot because it's you can just blast through it and it's just so profoundly beautiful and sad. That's why I choose that one. Yeah, sounds good, dude. Yeah, it's a great book. Where where did you first come across it? So I think I first read it uh, when I was at university, I think. Um, maybe not before, but I, I can't actually remember. I can't remember the first time I read it. But um, yeah, it just stuck with me ever since. And all of Richard Yates's books are in a similar vein. They're very, uh, they're very particular, and they all try and uh, they will try and tackle the same theme. But that's the for me the one. Uh, it's like the masterpiece that, that he wrote uh, and sadly uh, yeah it was turned into this shit film which I think probably turned a lot of people off the book um, because people you know when a film popularizes a book and yeah. then people just settle with what they get on the screen and then they wouldn't necessarily delve deeper into the literature behind it but this this book it really deserves to be read because it's, uh, yeah, it's oh, cool. um, what was what's the name of the film is it the revolutionary road 
it's just Revolutionary Road, which is the name of their street where they live. Um, and yeah, it, that's it. It's just it's Leo, isn't it? Yeah, like you said. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. I've <laughs> never heard of it. Not only have, yeah. not, do I not know the book, but I've never heard of a movie that had Beyond Titanic um, and uh, <laughs> Romeo and Juliet that had DiCaprio and Winslet in it together. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. And that's the thing is that it's it's um, it's the kind of film that like, you know, maybe middle class uh, like mums. Uh, like, um, uh, like an Argus saga. Yeah, like exactly. <laughs> but it's also the kind of book that maybe they would love too. But I, I just I don't know why it just it just really touches my heartstrings. So, cool. yeah, there you go, man. Brilliant. That one, that, that's mine. Yeah. Okay, cool. Go on, and you two, which one? All right. You go, Charlie. Yeah. All right, sweet. I'm gonna pick um, David Foster Wallace's *The Pale King*. So this is a book. So David Foster Wallace is a guy who, um, a writer, an American writer who passed away uh, in the in the noughties. Um, and I'm a, a huge, huge fan of his. He did Infinite Jest, uh, as well as a, a bunch of other, a bunch of other bits of short um, fiction and non-fiction and stuff like that. But The Pale King is his posthumous novel, so it was published after he died. The guy, it was. I mean, he he suffered from depression for for, for many years, and then and then and then he committed suicide in uh, I think 2004 or something like that. And um, they they found the manuscripts of this. Um, novel that he didn't finish, uh, but it, but it, but they collated it into uh, like a like a series of really disjointed kind of snatches of fiction, and it's all about it's all about uh, it's a book about boredom basically, and it and it revolves around these uh, the staff of like the IRS processing so that like the tax authority in the US. Mm. Uh, so these guys have the most most dry <laughs> the most dry job you can imagine having, right? Just doing tax returns all day in like in central Illinois, like a bump up Midwest uh, US. Um, and it's uh, and it's amazing because it's this it's this book about um, it's this book about like attention and what you give, what you pay attention to. And how you how you structure your you know like your time and what you do with your with your mind, uh, and uh, and some of it it's one of those books a bit like um, Moby Dick's guilty of doing this. It's one of those ones that consciously on purpose makes some passages as boring as possible, and it's just amazing if you can get through these <laughs> swathes of. But then they'll he'll hide like a little. He'll hide like a little ghost in, like a little nugget of some something crazy <laughs> halfway through this swathe of of text just about people doing tax exams and stuff like that. Uh, and it's just wicked. I was gonna, I was thinking maybe for this, I should pick a like a like a horror book or something like that. I was thinking of doing like House of Leaves or or something or like Toni Morrison's Beloved or something like that. Mm. But but this is wicked because this this has a couple of ghosts in it, so it's a ghost story in a way. But they just come and go, and they're by no means the central thing of the book. The main thing of the book is just about like, yeah, how you deal with uh, just like, you know, granular, boring tasks that all of us have to do with our lives, and just how you how you approach that, and what you know what that what that says if you can do them, or whatever if you can't. Uh, so yeah, so that's my that's my pick, Pale King. It's interesting the way you describe it because. 
you make it sound, as I say, incredibly monotonous to the point. <laughs> However, yeah. your enthusiasm suggests otherwise. I do not know this book, but already you have my intrigue. So right. <laughs> what is it that appealed to you? Was it the fact that it's doing this monotonous, repetitive task and then has these bursts? Was that it? Yeah. Yeah, so it's... it's um... The, the 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 passages of monotony are kind of done for almost like a textural kind of like effect. It's like they'll he'll 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 throw in because it's because it's because it's episodic, right? Mm. So it's short from from like you know one page um, kind of like chapters um, to like you know really really long ones. One in fact got split out um, and is a and is a standalone um, book of, of its own now, but. Um, it's um yeah it's just a way of i don't know it's just a way of it's just a way of texturing the book and like it makes it makes reading those passages almost like an exercise in themselves um but that's but you know and it's just funny because you charlie's yourself, fucking weird basically yeah. I'm so, i know it's so weird <laughs> i know it's weird i know it's weird but you find yourself slogging through it and you laugh to yourself just like what the fuck am i doing this for but then it's obviously it's spliced in with some with super interesting super dynamic uh fiction which is his which is david foster wallace's thing like he's he, his fiction's so so awesome uh, so yeah, it's a weird one, and it's very difficult to describe why anyone should read this book, but I definitely recommend it. <laughs> it's so it sounds like a mental workout, but as I <laughs> yeah. said, nothing sells something more than enthusiasm. If right. you can excitedly explain to someone, oh, this is a, what it is and why, well, I think it works. <laughs> sure, right. Okay, great. And yourself. So um, I think I'll make it shorter, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was hard to find a book because um, most of the things I read are non-fictional work. So it's usually a history book and it's usually around um, Soviet Union uh, stories okay. <laughs> for some reason. Um, but the, the one I would pick if I had to would be... Um, would be something by uh, Stefan Stefan Zweig, the Austrian author, that would that in French, and that's um, the only reason originally I read that book is because the title in French was really really cool because it says "Les très riches de l'humanité," the very rich hours of humanity, um, and the title in English when it was translated in the 30s is "Shooting Stars: Ten Historical Miniatures" by uh, Stefan Zweig. And essentially, the book is 10 short stories that are historical uh, facts, but um, built in a way to essentially relate to the intensity of the moment and how short actions, um, um, fast actions in a short amount of time can lead to events that will, at the time, change the world. And the, for me, the, the value of this book is that you can read the same book every five years and read it in a very different uh, manner and through a very different angle depending on what your experience in the last five years have been and you can either find um, the story narrated in a brilliant way and then find it somehow historically factual or you can think five years after it's complete bullshit and then another five years after actually I can see why he wrote it this way um, because it, it narrates um, um, various things from how Lenin went back to Russia um, at the time of the Soviet uh, revolution in 1917 to um, how Constantinople and Byzance were taken by the Turks 
So it spans on such a long period of time. Even how La Marseillaise, the French national anthem, was, was written within a night. So it's this collection of random uh, but very important historical, historical facts that always drew me to this one. And again, the angle um, that is going to be different from a reader to another. Yeah, that's... There's always uh, something to eat and drink from that book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, you put it such a descriptive and fascinating way. The, con the idea that there, as you say, historical facts that can be taken from certain angles depending upon your mindset or how your state of uh, feeling is after a certain period or what you've learned in the world and perhaps your, how cynical you've become or how more open-minded you are. That's incredible. Yeah, it's a, it's a good book. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So before we get into the next one, were you feeling any pressure to deliver on Compel to Repeat? It's, I think it's not noticeable in the end product. Like if you were feeling pressure, what you produce certainly doesn't showcase that. But were you kind of feeling like you had to deliver the best that Beggar could be at this stage? I think for for from you, you can think about it as songs and as the bands and what the output of the band can is going to be, and then you obviously think about what you're going to do as a musician as well. And I think for me, it's been it's always been um, not a struggle, but trying to cast a balance between what is cool from a drummer perspective and what you enjoy to do uh, versus what serves the song and what's going to make the song more compact and, and powerful. And so for this one, we spend a lot of time trying to fine tune this balance between, okay, this is good or, and this is even more technical or fast or, or brutal or whatever that with having the songs. And I think we found, so, of course, when you listen to it, I don't know if you guys feel the same, but every time I listen to the album, I always hear uh, the slight mistakes or the stuff we could have done better, of course. But um, I feel like the balance, I'm happy with the balance we have between these. So for me, the pressure was to not show off and do something that's meaningful from a song's perspective. But I don't think we ever felt a, a pressure to go into one direction versus another one. Yeah, I was gonna say we had um, we had we had quite a few songs like basically done by you know a long time before we went to studio. Uh, a long time before that, we've been playing some of the songs for a, for a very long time now, um, and we knew that we wanted to wait to do a full length. Um, and yeah, so a bunch of them were they came together quite organically over a long period of time, and then we spent quite a while towards. Uh, well, no, sorry. There were there are a few songs at the end, uh, just before we recorded, that we were quite like rushing to get together. I think more so than than uh, than the other set. Uh, but somehow, in in the actual uh, in the process of recording with Wayne, it turned out to be to be pretty seamless, and they all form part of a whole. I think more or less. Um, yeah. yeah. That was that was the challenge for this one for us because we we've, we've been we've been doing much shorter releases like a whole throughout our whole time together so so the 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 challenge here was to was to was to yeah to do something that works over the course of its whole runtime you know what i mean and that has a kind of uh like narrative of its own you could say you know what i mean just in terms of how the sounds um, just how the whole thing sits together 
so that was a new thing for us because it's a different thing to doing, you know, the kind of three or four track yeah. uh, EPs that we've been burping out into the world, you know, <laughs> up until now. Um, but yeah. Okay. Um, well, you already sort of mentioned a narrative. Well, there clearly isn't one per se in the album. You talk a lot about how daily compulsions and repetitive behaviors and things like that uh, is a kind of theme behind it. Is this something you as individuals were are aware of your own sort of shortcomings or compulsions in that regard? For sure. I mean, yeah, you know, without getting too, too personal, because I think it applies to... I'd be surprised if it doesn't apply to to everyone in yeah. in some way, right? Because um, yeah, just to, just to just just to exist, we're 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 put we're 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 compelled to 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 act in certain ways. You know, whether it's behaviour that you inherit or, or or get from your from your peers, behaviours that you're forced into um, to make a living, or like you know, on a like a on a on a really broad like kind of like cultural or political level whether you feel that you you know you, you might be of the opinion that you, like the rise in like the resurgence of the far right and in like nostalgic british kind of jingoistic stuff is is kind of repeating on us like a bad meal at the moment yeah um so yeah i don't know well, it's almost something that's instilled at a very, very young age when you're uh, being brought up by your parents and so on. Right. Everybody talks about put, getting a child on a schedule, right? So <laughs> it's instilled from very, very sure. young. Sure. Sure, but it's good. I mean, it's good for you, right? I mean, yeah, schedule. Everyone needs. Everyone needs a bit of routine. I'd be. Yeah. I'd, be I'd be like a jellyfish if I didn't have that. So it's good. No, I get that. Um, if there was one thing then uh, about your own compulsions that you could change with a click of a fingers and remove it, so to speak, what would it be? Ooh. Procrastination. Mm. <laughs> Procrastination. There's so many things I would have done if I wasn't so lazy. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it takes time to do nothing, you know? It can <laughs> yeah. take a massive yeah, amount of effort. It's important. It takes a long, long time. <laughs> I think for me, yeah, just bit, I think that I don't know. I often have this problem where I, I get like if I start a book or if I, you know, start a project or if I whatever, I can't I can't finish it. Like wow. I, I, that's it's so frustrating, and I'm just like, fuck's sake, why didn't I finish that book? Why didn't oh. I, why didn't I get to the end of that album and give it as good? Why didn't I, I don't know, read the recipe or like read the fucking manual like my dad always taught me to you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, can't do I just I, I, I just need to lose the I need to lose the compulsion to stop obsessing over my spice drawer and stuff like that and putting all my cumin seeds into one jar all my ground cumin into another jar <laughs> and it, it's just that's what gives me the most pleasure in life at the moment small pleasures they make yeah. us human yeah <laughs> all right gents horror movies then who wants to get us started um, I'll start, if, if that's cool, you can go in the same order. Um, so, yeah, it was quite a difficult question for me, actually, because I don't actually watch really any horror, uh, and I, I don't know why. It's not because I don't like it, but I'm, I've never really indulged in it. But the one horror film that stuck with me, just that I just can't get out of my head, is this film. It's a Belgian horror movie uh, that's called, essentially, the title is Calvaire, which means a nightmare in French. 
And it was, I think it's like 2004, 2005. Uh, and it didn't ever really take off. People didn't really like it that much as far as I can tell from reviews. Because when we were prepping for this, I was thinking about it again. And I was like, um, what do people actually think about this film? And it's not been that favorably reviewed. But the story and the, the, the aesthetic um, is just so brutal. And it's basically... This guy who's um, he's called Mark, and he's he's a traveling kind of chansonnier. Like he goes around performing in old people's homes and in hospitals for you know people who who can't go to shows or don't ever get entertainment. Um, and it's kind of set in. I think it's like over New Year that he's traveling through this um, random part of Belgium uh, near Liège, um, and he basically has, he's just done some really miserable show. Where uh, and and he comes out the back of it and his his van starts breaking down, you know he's in the woods. He finds this kind of like local innkeeper who puts him up for a night, um, but the innkeeper is this really lonely like strange guy who realizes that Mark is a singer, and he upset and 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 he keeps telling Mark that his wife um, is uh, was a singer, but that she left him. I, I can't remember if she left him or if she died. Uh, but basically he goes, he gets really obsessed with this guy, Mark. And he's like, please, you need to sing for me. You need to be my entertainer. Um, so Mark, like as a kind of the payment for his free stay in this place while his cars, his van's being, um, fixed, so to speak by, by, uh, Bartel, who's the owner. He, uh, he says, yeah, sure. So he sings for him. And then basically it's just, how this relationship degrades and then how he becomes part of this local really fucked up community and there are a few scenes where he kind of like walks into a bar uh, and it's just like this group of people in the middle of the day like play it's almost like this kind of like victorian gothic horror scene where all these people are like dancing to the sound of this like mistuned piano uh, like with their like white eyes and like stomping feet and like it just it becomes this really really like uh, grating psychological nightmare and it ends in the most you know miserable fashion uh, so as far as a proper horror film goes that would probably be a choice for me but um, yeah fucked up film it's called The Nightmare nice wow yeah. I've never heard of it but listening to you talk man I felt the tension well, I'll I check it out I have uh, a very quiet night planned. I think I'm going to be finding this one. This is going to be, yeah, I've got to see this. That's amazing. Yeah, that sounds so good. All right, guys, who wants to go next? Sick. Yeah, I'll step up. Uh, so it's, it's, it's far less obscure than Jake's. Man. 28 Days Later is my, is my pick. Rewatched it. Um, as at the to, towards the beginning of uh, of coronavirus raising its head, and I <laughs> sure as shit wish I hadn't, man, because it's just <laughs> it's just really scary. But I mean, like, like there's there's not that much to say about it because 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 everyone's seen it. But it's I think it's a wicked take on the on the classic zombie flick like formula. You know what I mean? But it feels very. Um, I don't know. It just feels really like British. Feels really like domestic. It feels like you. Um, it, it brings it closer to home, you know, because it's places like, you know, we're all, we're all Londoners at the moment, so it's places that we like walk past every day. Uh, and then just to, just to see those scenes play out in the news uh, has been fucking terrifying uh, and really surreal. Um, I mean, like zombies running these Yeah, all the zombies. Yeah, <laughs> have you seen these guys? Yeah. Down in, down in ah! Thames Reeds. 
puking blood, <laughs> puking blood in aisle six. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so you gotta watch out for those guys. But you know, yeah, it's 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 great. Yeah, I love that film, man. It's really classic, like low budget. There's a few faults with it. It's a product of its time because it's that early noughties kind of cheesiness. But love it, man. And obviously, it was pre, uh, I guess, made a name for himself, Danny Boyle, way before yeah, Slumdog and all that. Absolutely, yeah, on and a huge, huge budget. Of and Killian Murphy Killer. as well, yeah. Killer. Dude, Killian Murphy gouging a guy's eyes out. Yeah, it's wicked stuff. Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic movie. I wasn't, the, when it first came out, I remember not liking it because uh, I was kind of anti, anti non traditional zombies. But uh, then. Um, because they are, they're fast. They're, they're, they're not traditional zombies by any stretch, are they? Because they call them infected. Mm. And that's exactly what they're... Just seeing that word in the news so much is, is freaking me the hell out. And as you said, the fact that when you watch it, you will see locations if you're from London, you know, whether that's it be it. them walking down the DLR track and it's like, that's oh, it. that's weird. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Or driving down, you know, even if you're not a Londoner, like just driving down a deserted M1 mm. is scary in itself. Because when does that ever happen, right? When has <laughs> the M1 ever been deserted? <laughs> yeah. Okay. If you go to London these days, it feels like this, but it also feels, if you want to put some relativity on it, it feels like London is in a constant Christmas morning. Yeah, my drive nice. home this morning was uh, mostly the North Circular through to the Blackwater uh, yeah. Tunnel. And right. uh, it's like a, a very early Saturday morning. Yeah. That's what yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. See, it's nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not complaining. Um, go on, then. Right. Um, so mine is not a movie, actually, but a, a series. Um, and it's, I think it would be categorized as horror. But um, the twist is that there's no CGI. There's almost no blood. There is some, but it's really non, not based on the... Um, um, on the image in itself to impact some fear into the viewer. It's called uh, Les Revenants in French, and it's called The Returned uh, in English. And it's been a very popular series created in France that has been adapted in a shitty version in the US, but I think uh, the French version was uh, was uh, available um, uh, overdubbed in the UK. And essentially, it's um, this village in the French Alps um, that sees people that were dead for some years coming back in the state they were when they died. So you have uh, kids that were disappeared for 35 years coming back to their house uh, and talking to their parents like if they left two hours ago. And so the whole move, the whole series, which is two seasons, 16 episodes, is around uh, the reaction of normal people having having their wives, parents, children coming back from the dead. And, and, and getting back into normal life. So the contrast between the absence of crazy things happening like in a zombie outbreak, uh. but having to integrate those weird, weird, weird people into real life again is what makes the, um, the series actually terrifying because you can relate to it a lot more than if you were watching a gore horror movie as Platting Blau that, uh, at the screen. And, and for this one, I remember really being you know, um, distressed and feeling weird looking at this uh, at this particular series where you can, it's, I feel like it's easier to switch off 
um, the reality of blood that you may see on the screen. So I would really recommend to watch this one. It's a really good one, uh, especially these days where everybody has time to uh, binge some new stuff. The Return is a really good one. Cool. Is it on Netflix? I'm not sure where it is now. You said it was adapted into an American show as well, because it kind of rings a bell. But when I think of it, I, for some reason, see it as an American TV series. I'm wondering if I'm thinking if it's that. So the, I know the rights have been um, bought. Oh, Mogwai does the music on this. It's really, really? Yeah, yeah. cool. Um, so, so I know the rights have been bought uh, for a number of countries. And I know that in the US, they did a remake of this one with new actors, but essentially the same story. But it wasn't as good, so I think they cancelled after the first season. But the return, the original one, has been has been brought to many countries already, uh, except instead of speaking French, uh, they've been overdubbed in English or Italian or whatever. Such a shame. And it's a it's a complete series, right? So like, if you wanted to binge watch it, you can see it from beginning to end and not be waiting on a future season or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. No, no, it's the the end of it. I mean, it gets dark in the second season, and it gets there's some weird stuff happening with the people that have returned, um, but it never goes too far into sci-fi. So you're always hooked to the reality of it, and that's why I like it. Some of the best horror is the stuff that feels real that you can equate your life or or potentially put yourself in that experience. You know, Ooh. blood and guts and uh, super strong serial killers can be fun, but I. For horror, if I want to feel a certain way, you you seek out the things that, as you say, would make you feel a certain way if that happened to you in real That's life. It. Yeah. Yeah. So, guys, we love compelled to repeat. We gave it ten out of ten in our review. Wow. Uh, ah, yeah. Uh, we consider it contender for the best of the year. Um, uh, thank you, man. Wow. Thank you. You talked about the, the the things you did leading up to it, but were you aware at any stage, particularly I guess uh, when you were in the studio near the end, um, that you had created something so special? Um, I was going to say, I think that there was a moment actually where, uh, so it's at the end of the title track, um, we were kind of like, there's a big, big, weird batch of genres in there with the sort of, blast like coming up to that final kind of classic riff which has also got octaves over it and then there's this big ballsy guitar solo that adds rips and i just remember listening to that when uh when we were sitting in wayne's studio in bear bites horse and feeling a bit like wow this is <laughs> this is quite cool because the way that it opens out of this huge like uh blast section and yeah. then and then comes in with a classic rock solo and then it's that goes solo on. at the end. Yeah, that, yeah. Really I remember is. sitting there. And Shane Abs isn't here to shit, take us through it note by note, but I, yeah. remember, <laughs> I remember that that hearing that and being like, "Wow, this is quite cool. Maybe we've done something all right here." Um, for me, that was a really good moment. Yeah, I think for me it was two things. The first one is the excitement you get when we create the songs over certain riffs or certain combination of structures. And the fact that we've played maybe 80% of the of the record live already mm. to some shows, sometimes just to test it, and some songs have moved since then. And the reaction or just the pleasure we get playing this live means like you're creating something you're going to be happy with, regardless of if people like it or not. Mm. But the other tell for me was for a number of uh, songs, um, I would find myself whistling the riff at home 
like you would on other song and usually that's a good tell that actually I'm very passionate about this one and <laughs> if I can remember it and if it comes up naturally then maybe it's a good song yeah. you can't whistle a blast beat mate can you? No, that's true. <laughs> no 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 only right <laughs> sadly for Bert the fact that you'd be at home and say whistling uh, or singing your own riffs I think speaks volumes because ultimately when you're hearing the same thing over and over and over again you often we often do these interviews and we talk to a band just before their release and they're already sick of their own music <laughs> because of how much they've had to listen to it yeah. so it's good that you've got that yeah Still I, mean, I mean there is part of that and there's some songs on the album that uh, I've listened to maybe too much I need to let them breathe a bit on their own for some time yeah. before I can <laughs> yeah. come back to it so you already we talked at the start about the lack of live because for obvious reasons um but what what plans do you have in the works or are you hoping to kind of get going I guess once we're through the darker period we, we got a ton of we got a ton of plans it's just which ones are gonna get get shot out of the sky right but you know we I mean, it depends how long everyone is at home for and how long these, these measures last. Because as it stands, over the rest of the summer, you know, we've got some, we've got a range of like uh, fest stuff, you know, from 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 things like Stone Baked in Leeds to, um, and like Fog Fest in London and stuff like that, through to Obscene Extreme invited us out to, to play their kind of, um, uh their their kind of like festival of weird riffs which was like a special kind of like a a pre-party type thing where author and punisher and deaf kids and conan were playing so mm. you know we, he just reached out the other day so um we're we're yet to see what's what's going to happen with that you know we've got we've got to go um We've got we've got a, a couple of dates booked in in November with Desert Storm, uh, which was going to take us up to Scotland. Again, it's really it's really tough to say. Yeah. And I think as well, the worry that I have a bit on the back of that is that like you know when things do normalise again, I think there'll probably be a period in which people are a lot more cautious and like the yeah. gig that they might have just gone to, they're yeah. not going to go to at the beginning. Like you know, I think it might take a bit of time. I, maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but to get things back in back in motion again, yeah. Um, at least for from a gigging perspective, it worries me a little bit. But I don't know. I feel like I mean we've discussed for so many hours about what do we do for gigs because we were supposed to have all these gigs last week, so we had extensive discussions, and we quickly realized that in the end it's not up to us, even if we wanted to, and yeah. also from a personal personal stand. We don't want to be a band that says, no, we're going to play this gig because it's so important to us when the whole world's going to shut down mode. Um, so I feel like we'll do what is available to us and <laughs> there's nothing else we can uh, really, really, really do at the moment. Um, it sucks it. though for um, gigs, promoters and a number of people working in the scene because... Yeah, and venues, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For, for us, I mean, we're releasing an album, it sucks because we were looking forward to play this show, but we're, we're not the most uh, severely um, hit by this. And mm. so our hope is that next year, sometimes, or whenever this becomes um, open again, there will still be venues and promoters willing to do the work we're relying upon because mm. uh, it might be a very different landscape when it comes to live music in, in six yeah. months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're hoping there's going to be venues full stop. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest concern is saying yeah, there's so many yeah. from the bands to promoters to venues and so on. But your mindset is in the right place. There's nothing you can do about this. And you're not alone. You are one yeah. of every band that's in a similar yeah, situation. Exactly. So if you can manage it the best you can. The one thing I would hope, and again, it's a hope, and we'll guess we'll wait and see, which is actually when things normalize and, hey, the first shows start getting booked, come to these venues. Hopefully, it'll be more less of fear, but more of a desperate rush that people just want to get out there to feel normal as much as anything else. Like a need, yeah, yeah. 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 I certainly need to just go and see a nice heavy gig. I can say yeah. here, man. Tell <laughs> yeah. me about it. Tell oh. me about it. Yeah, we lost a load in a quick, quick succession. Uh, yeah. um, Crystala, Red Method, Incineration Fest. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was a yeah. big one. We, yeah, yeah. So, but it, 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 it's the norm now. So you, you, you kind of just have. To. Yeah, it's it's done. Yeah. Guys, right, we're getting to the end. Then your three records. Who wants to get us started? Go on, Jay. Um, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. Right. So, um, I was agonising over this one for a while because I have lots of records that I'd like to take with me. Um, but the the one I'm going to choose is. Um, it's Aransi Pazuzu, the Finnish psychedelic black metal band, and they have wow. a record from 2016 called, uh, I guess you'd call, you'd pronounce it, <laughs> Varehetilia, maybe. That was great. Who knows? Uh, but but basically, so the reason why I chose this one is because I've I've recently actually I've been reviewing their their upcoming release, um, which is coming out uh, quite soon in April, and I. I just I was going through their, their their music again and I just can't believe how they do what they do as a band because in theory they're a black metal band mm. but they're actually when you listen to all the elements of their sound except for the black metal vocals that they, they are literally like a you know a psych band a prog band yeah. a jam band a folk band they're a blues band they they're not a black metal band and it's really fascinating because it it it, it's such powerful music, but the constitutive elements are so varied and so far from what they're, again, this whole label thing, like, what do we label them as? We need to give them a name. We need to call them something. Um, and basically, I'm just so blown away by that album because it's it's just got so many different dynamic elements, like from these extremely simple riffs, you know, three note riffs that just cycle for two or three minutes under really like, you know, uh, soft kraut rock beats with these crazy synth soundscapes, which ordinarily, like uh, before listening to Aranti Pazuzu, I the idea of symphonic black metal made my skin crawl, mm. and I really didn't like it. Like with the exception of maybe one or two uh, albums or bands, but they they've just made this idea of kind of big orchestral symphonic blackened heavy music something which I think is some of the coolest, most inventive, progressive music around. Um, and yeah, so that would be that would be my pick. Um, yeah, Vada Hedley by Karate Pazuzu. It's, you know, your timing is impeccable for bringing up that band. They were <laughs> yeah. someone I had cursory knowledge of, aware that they were, as you say, billed as a black metal band. But chances are, I think we got the exact same promo because three days ago, <laughs> I was also reviewing yeah. that album and i was like what the hell is what this fuck is it yeah <laughs> unreal, unreal. i love that band. new album but like that that album is just oh uh, tell us please tell us <laughs> it is 
it was so, so fascinating I that I was I like it's one of those where in my list of things to do is to now go back and you're saying 2016 yeah. that's the next one to check out then you've got a treat man that album is I'm with Jake on this one that album is incredible yeah amazing anyway yeah. right oh uh, yeah uh mine is um a band who's actually a black metal band I just wanted to talk down <laughs> mayhem <laughs> mayhem <laughs> The mysterious Don Satanas because it's just the most amazing black metal record ever. I love every aspect of it. Like, I think the production is so wicked. Like, the drums, obviously, they sound nasty, but those blast beats really give me them feelings, you know what I mean? And like, all the like, like the feels all over that record. Like, I'm, I'm a real fan of the drums on that, on that album. I think that's so electric. Um, and Attila is Attila is my favorite. Um, I think that's my favorite set of black metal vocals that have ever been laid down. I, I absolutely love what he's done since. I'm a huge, huge fan of um, of Sun, and uh, and and I think that I think that that's his work with them has really allowed him to come into his own. And you've just seen him he develop his prodigious vocal talents and his talents as a like a, a performer and a, and a showman. Uh, like when you see him come on stage at a Sun concert dressed in his mirrorball suit. Um, but yeah this album is just wicked like the lyrics are awesome i think the whole like the atmosphere is just basically perfect and it straddles it straddles the line for me um that that black metal at its best um is is supposed to which is it's scary as shit but it's also like super dynamic it's very punk in a way uh and it's got a lot of, it's got a lot of blasting going on it's got some wicked riffs and i just think the whole thing is it's absolutely on top form it must drive you nuts sometimes then that the past often over- overshadows mayhem's current yeah, output yeah, yeah. and future yeah i've never seen them live i missed them when they came around they came around recently uh and i i miss them then but i never never managed to i for some reason black metal is not something that i end up going to see very much mm. even though i love going to see other kinds of extreme music but um but um but i but i would absolutely love to see them one for the bucket list for the future definitely yes. for sure for sure okay and finally so mine is uh well yeah, you could say an old album now. It's 10, 20 years old, um, but it's the first uh, album that got me really into um, death metal in a way. But it's uh, Dying Fetus, Destroy the Opposition. So that was released in 2000 and has my some of my favorite songs because it's not really pure death metal. It's a crossover between a lot of hardcore riffs, um, almost catchy riffs, you could say. The production is quite different. It's very rich in mediums you can hear really well everything the voice is incredible with the two singers mm. and it has one of my favorite drummer on it kevin taylor plus the guitar and bass player that then went on to create misery index it's just this perfect storm of uh, of songs and rhythm and, and and raw production i remember listening to this one actually in my in uh, early university a friend of mine had that in his car and I was like, what's this? It has blast, but it also has all the hardcore riff that I really liked at the time, which is most of what I was listening. So for me, even still when I listen to that today, it's uh, it's an amazing album. I really like it. And live, it's always been one of my favorite bands to, to see live. So Dan Fitus, weird name, but uh, great, great, uh, <laughs> great, great band and, 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 and great songs. 
Great um, band. I don't think I've ever met anyone who would turn around and say that it was Dying Fetus that got them into death metal. It seems like a massive <laughs> jump. But the album you've chosen, as you say, that it's got that slight crossover. If you were already into the hardcore scene, perfect, really. Yeah, because for me, yeah. I listened to some Cannibal Cops a bit before, but for me, it was too hard to get in. And actually, mm. through the riff and the some of the hardcore stuff they had, it was my way into the really blasty stuff. Perfect. Nice. All right, guys, before you go, I've got a couple more short questions for you, and then you can get on with your day staying at home. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys like to do when you're not making music? What's uh, a fun thing for you to experience? Um, so for me, I, uh, me and my partner, we love to cook. We cook all the time. Every meal, we, we typically make something. It's not like a... We try to anyway when we can, um, and yeah, I think cooking is one of my one of my biggest pleasures actually. It's because it's like it's 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 so creative. That's obviously a ridiculously banal thing to say, but it's uh, it's such a creative act and it's so satisfying. And I think um, I think uh, yeah, it was a really there's this really great quote from Pavarotti, the hey. opera singer, <laughs> who said like. Um, one of the best things about being alive is the fact that you can eat three full meals a day. I mean, this is for people who have access to three full meals a day, right? Yeah. But it's, it is just this unbelievable pleasure. So for me, it's got to be cooking. He can really cook as well. It's, as say, you say it's banal in the sense that um, it's often what a lot of people say, but it's creative, as you say, and any way you can get a creative outlet uh, is a good thing. Yeah, man, totally. I envy that because I feel like you could just give Jake some lemongrass and a, and a couple of cashew nuts and he'll whip up something really, something really amazing. And I need, I need like instructions like by rote, you know what I mean? I need, I need numbered lists, otherwise I can't make it. Indexes. Yeah. What's um, your thing, Charlie? My thing, I, uh, I, I read a lot, uh, I read a lot of books, I uh, really love fiction uh, and a bit of non-fiction and stuff like that, so I'm always reading something. At the moment I'm on, um, um, uh, this is going to be a tough one to pronounce her name, uh, Olga Tokarczuk, I think it is, uh, who's a Polish author who won the Nobel Prize for Literature the recently, uh, and she did one that was really awesome called drive your plow over the bones of the dead which is about um yeah dude it's awesome man it's a it's a line from william blake and it's about this uh this 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 lady who who, who lives in a really remote polish village and and is kind of losing the plot and she loves william blake and astrology and it's fucking great. Uh, and this new one I've just started is called Flights, and it's about um, it's. Uh, I think I think it's going to be a kind of a, a bit of like travel writing, but really poetic and quite abstract and stuff like that. So I'll tell you more when I've read it. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, I would like to say that when I do outside of work is skiing because I grew up in the Alps, and so I was skiing up until I was twenty many, many times, but mm. this has reduced over the years because I can't go back to the Alps as much as I used to. So if I have to say realistically what I do outside of um, of my day, at the moment I'm trying to learn Russian. That That's taking me a number of hours per week, and it's really hard. Yeah, <laughs> what a language to choose to learn. Incredibly, yeah. incredibly complex and layered. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm on this at the moment. Right, guys, finally, 
for everyone that's watching this and basically you're in the same boat as many other bands. How can they help Beggar out? Going forward, what can they do to support you in regards to the new album release or what will come six months down the line? Because ultimately you are just about to get started. Normally the train would be off and rolling now, but you're going to be moving a lot slower. So yeah. what would you ask if you could? Just to come along for the ride, you know what I mean? We want to recruit some friendly faces to get on board with what we're doing. Like, if people want to pick up a physical copy of the album, that would help us a tremendous amount. Because um, obviously, what with show cancellations, etc., and like, um, uh, and everything that's going on, you know, sales take a dent. So if people wanted to pick up something physical, whether it's a T-shirt or a CD or a tape or a, or a, a record, then that would be so sweet. And then, yeah, as I say, just come along for the ride with us. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd just add to that by saying, yeah, come for the live shows, but also like as an addendum to what Charlie's saying, like because uh, APF Records is, Andrew's done so much for us in terms of giving yeah. us a platform, investing in us, believing in the album, wanting to just put it out there, which we would be we would be doing it independently right now if it wasn't mm. for him. You know, just support a record label whose bands you like. Um, similarly, you know, because there are, again, there's so many bands whose stuff you could buy or whatever. Yeah. But if you have some kind of connection with a the label, then then just give them support too, because like as you say, it's everyone in the same boat. So exactly, try exactly. and keep try and keep that spread out, that good love of music. So yeah, brilliant guys. I'm leaving you. You're on this island Sorry. now. The boat's sailing off. Enjoy your books, horror, yeah. and your music. <laughs> Um, guys, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks very much to you, man. Thank you for the questions. I appreciate, yeah, your, appreciate time. your time, Dan. Thank you very much for watching. You can check us out on gbhbell.com as well as on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. Go to Patreon to help us out over there. That's patreon.com forward slash gbhbl as well as Big Cartel where you can find some of our merchandise. We have a podcast running on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. And of course, if you like this video, do us a favour, hit the subscribe button and help the channel grow. Games, horror and heavy metal, what else is life for?